Conversations with the inspiring minds. Using design and creativity towards social change. This is Design for the People with Greg Bondway. Hello and welcome to Design for the People. I'm your host, Greg Bunbury, and on this show, I'll be speaking to the designers, artists, creative thinkers, and activists using their skills to tackle social issues, uplift communities, and make a difference in the world. For those of you watching on YouTube, if you're enjoying this content, please be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps grow our audience and amplifies our guests. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by two fascinating guests, Rebecca Thompson and Rachita Sarogi the co-founders of Sisterhood. Sisterhood is a grassroots organization and a creative design program for young women aged 13 to 17 to unleash their creative confidence in order to help realize their full potential. Sisterhood achieves this through design education, empowering girls to become future leaders, creators, and change makers. Their mission is delivered through a mix of workshops, school programs, projects, and events. Since founding Sisterhood, the pair have already received numerous accolades and awards, the most recent of which is winning a Business is Extraordinary Award from NatWest, as well as awards from organizations including Deutsche Bank, Cannes Lions in Google, Adidas, the Fair Education Alliance, Reebok, not to mention a fellowship at the RSA. After spending some time with Rebecca and Richita's work, it is very apparent Sisterhood is not just something they do, but the way in which they approach life with intention and by design. Sisterhood, welcome to the show. Hello, thank, thank you, you so much. much. What an introduction, thank you. Yeah, that's probably one of the best <laughs> intros we've had. <laughs> well, it's my great pleasure. The intro could have gone on for another half hour just by listing the accolades <laughs> you guys have, have received. Um, so I was so impressed with what you've achieved and what you've done. Um, what can you tell us about your career beginnings and your journey towards founding Sisterhood? So, Thanks, you can start. You yeah, can so, um, I mean, the beginnings of Sisterhood started at university. So, um, Rachita and I were in the same class before Sisterhood even happened. Um, right. That class just happened to specialise we had an amazing tutor uh, called Louise Vormital who um, specialised in social design and kind of set us up with some awesome briefs um, that really got us to think about social issues um, varying from healthcare all the way through to um, uh, housing and people and you know everything in between and uh, yeah before Sisterhood even started we were already on that kind of using design uh, for social good without really realizing um at uni you're kind of just mm. like thrown into the deep end of doing lots of different things branding advertising they don't really tell you you just kind of figure it out for yourself what sort of proof you're on and we just kept going back to the same briefs and sister really started off as a design research project um because one of our projects we you know we had to collaborate they really encouraged that collaboration at mm. uni and Richita and I just gelled very very well at university um and then we ended up living together so uh, flatmates and co-founders, uh, we've definitely not been able to shake each other off since we met. Um, and yeah, we we started with this research into seeing where all the women went after university because we were surrounded by women. Mm. And um, from tutors to students and peers and um, 
when we started to graduate, we noticed that there was a drop off quite quickly when we were looking at maybe internships at agencies and checking out the team pages and going, this doesn't look like how, you know, we've been what we've been used to at university. Sure. Um, so it just started as research into where these where the women were going. And we really didn't quite realize where that research would take us. And, and you know, we we started off uh, just mainly focusing on collaborating and using our design skills to create something that um, opened up a conversation. And right. that conversation has never ended um, and is still going on today, nearly six years later, um, where we are with Sisterhood. And I think that we had a seed at sister uh, at central st martins when we were both at uni it really was still a seed and after we graduated we continued to kind of figure out what sisterhood even looked like what it was going to do um we were so like bright eyed and thought you know we just want to help we just want to give opportunities we want to we just want to do this and and neither of us really come from much business experience but then quickly caught on that we needed to start thinking about what the business structure of sisterhood was going to be if we wanted to provide opportunities free for girls um and how we could raise funds to do that um and so to do that we needed to raise the funds and we both had to kind of go our separate ways um and become designers and we wanted to you know, raise funds hand in hand with learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we both worked in charities actually to begin with, because that was where our heart kind of was, was using our design for causes that we really care about. Um, and along the way, we learn um, how to build a business from the ground. Both of the charities we both picked had, you know, they were startups themselves. Um, and that along with a lot of experience and we we gravitated towards opportunities that kind of always had a facilitation aspect I don't Mm. know whether that's like the inner performers in us like we both perform in different ways and I think that it was kind of that was the outlet was was bringing people together having conversations and then from those conversations doing something about it like not getting too um, once you get into the conversation going like where do we go from here like how do we move forward in this conversation um, right. so that has led us to to where we are now which is really on this precipice of being full-time sisterhood and um, the programs would not exist without that time to really figure out what we were doing and who we, who we were. So I mean in terms of looking at it from the point of view of education Um, Data generated by the UNESCO Institute for Statistics show that women are becoming better educated than men around the world and outperform men in almost every single aspect of higher education. So therefore, they constitute a growing resource for talent. So was the those that initial foray into sisterhood, did it come from uh, a need to address inequality in terms of the business sector or was it more in terms of the cognitive aspect, so more of the uh, moralistic and the social aspect? I think I think probably the latter first and then the business aspect came came as a, as a result of it. So the first being that you're absolutely right, like even if even when we started and we were looking into like you know girls and obviously we were delving into like the education system um, 
you know, it's not that girls aren't not performing well, um, but it was also, you know, school is not just about um, academia and, mm. you know, the academic skills that you build up, but it's also the personal development that you go through. Um, and that as a result was where girls were naturally falling behind a little bit. So we had, um, we did quite a bit of research around it and we found that the three character traits of like confidence, courage, courage and charisma were traits that sat uncomfortably with girls um and it was surprising that girls started realizing or like not realizing um but leaning towards uh gender tropes much younger than we actually think they do so i think it starts at like as young as the age of six when you kind of start hearing the words whether it's like your parents at school wherever you are of like oh you know this might be something that a girl would do or this is something mm. that boys would do or like you know if you like you know don't behave like this like that's like you know behaving like i don't know you're behaving rowdy and that's associated with behaving like a boy or you know you're 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 talking too much and 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 all of that so these are all the little things that kind of make up the i guess the base of like why these three traits of courage confidence and charisma sit uncomfortably with um young girls compared to boys wow so it was really really starting off yeah so it was really starting off as to address that as that like it's not just about like the professional development and like the academic skills or access to subjects that boys have more than girls like at, at the moment like you know girls in at least in the uk do have access to those uh the same subjects um as boys do it's more about their confidence to be able to go for those subjects um even if other even if their friends aren't going for it or if no one in their family is a scientist doesn't mean that they can't be a scientist Mm. yeah and i guess another reason that we've learned what we've learned through our work we didn't know this before but um, um and now we've learned it we're like yeah we probably had this same situation is girls take on such a pivotal role in the household um they're often seen as like a, another parent um they will often be called upon to do a lot more around the house and be you know main caregivers for maybe younger siblings um or just to maintain the upkeep of the house or just take on additional responsibilities and through our work and through this pandemic, we've really realised that that is so, so true. Um, And sisterhood is here to just provide, even if it's just for an hour, some me time to like Mm. invest in the things and the issues that you're passionate about and to, to allocate time. That's not only fun, but actually helping you progress personally and professionally, um, which is so sought after and, you know, as as girls things like that helping people out uh, a lot of the time you don't realize that it's taking away from maybe some learning or may or attending a class or attending an after-school club you're happy to do it but then when you start to go into the world of work and you're against your you're around your peers who um maybe on Saturdays did went to a went to a a craft class or went to some sort of design um like professional and personal development place Mm. um that's maybe something that can really affect you later in life when you're like oh i i didn't have that like that wasn't a priority of mine like i had to just be there and support my friends and family um 
so yeah, Sisterhood is the place where people can kind of figure out uh, what they passion they're passionate about, what they care about, and then um, also like learn skills along the way that that will help them later in life. That's amazing. That's great. And you know, to what you were uh, saying previously, Rachita, in my own experience with my daughter, who uh, there was a period through primary school where suddenly she became. Uh, developed this cognitive bias as to what girls should do and what girls shouldn't do. And it was mm. unbelievable to see it reinforced at school where uh, mm. during a, a, a PE session uh, playing football, all the girls were sidelined and just basically mm. standing on the side while all the boys played. And from there, my daughter has developed this bias that girls don't play football. And that's something that we keep coming back to because once it kind of, once it starts, as you say, it builds and develops as you get older and it becomes more pervasive. Um, what I really liked about your work and uh, the research I did initially was your idea of using design as a methodology to build self-esteem. Um, I'm older than you, but in my day, design was a trade. It was a skill. It was something you did with a pencil and it was something that you just applied to the job that you did. And it was years before we, I thought of design or even the term design thinking as a way of not only developing a vocation, but developing essential skills that help you navigate in the world. So, I mean, if we think of design thinking as this nonlinear uh, iterative process that we can use to define problems, understand users, challenge assumptions, um, can you speak to how you incorporated that level of design thinking into the ethos of sisterhood? Was it a very natural fit? Did you have like a, a sort of a eureka moment when it all made sense? Yeah, I think I there think... was kind of a moment for both mm. of us at uni where we were like, oh, wow, like you, this is a really good confidence building tool. Um, and what we mean by that is, you know, the, the lessons that you learn when using design or applying design, um, they're life lessons and they're, they're also transferable skills. So, you know, when you're prototyping, you are having to learn that like it's OK to fail and get something wrong and to try again and to like wow. get it wrong again and to try yeah. again. And that fear of failure and failure is another trait that we've, you know, is not it's not just applicable to girls. It, the whole education system is this answer is right, this answer is wrong. And that's how you get graded and marked. But with prototyping, it's all about testing and trying and, and letting go of prototypes and being like, okay, that one didn't work. That was my idea, That I love that idea, but it just didn't work. Um, that's a really hard thing to grasp. And a lot of adults to this day haven't quite got the grasp, like <laughs> it's okay to get things wrong. Um, you know, it's that feeling that you're being told off, you know, you know, like Rebecca, stop doing that. And you're like, oh, like that feeling is so uncomfortable, but actually that's where the learning happens. Um, so you have to learn to take feedback. You have to think critically about what you're making. Like, is is this gonna is this gonna work for the person I'm actually trying to make it work for? Um, you have to put yourself out there. A lot of our programs, all of our programs, end in the girls going in front of the public and talking about what they've done. That takes so much bravery, um, mm. and that's all kind of down to the design process. That it you cut you go from an idea all the way through to a final outcome, and then you launch that final outcome. Um, which 
is building this leadership, these, these leadership qualities where you are accountable to um, for seeing something through from start to, to finish and um, you're having to uh, present the idea that you've come up with to the public, which again is is something that doesn't always fall so naturally with anybody, but particularly girls. Yeah, and I think like a big part of like, obviously we did a whole lot of research into like, you know, do, and we weren't by any means like the first people to kind of think of design as a methodology to start using in education. Like you've had, um, um, or even like maybe like design and creativity as a whole um, to be used within the education. Like they've you know, pioneer pioneers like Ken Robinson and even like the founders of IDEO who've kind mm. of you know um, attributed creativity to like the development of and the development and learning of a person yeah. um, and how design really has this um, ability to put theor theory into into practice um, and that's that's the bit that you know example that Rebecca gave where like your learning stops in school it stops at theory right it, it you don't do practical projects to put that theory into into testing so of course you don't learn how to like the idea of like failing and like learning from your failure and then you know carrying on anyway because um at school you're kind of just stopping at theory mm. yeah i mean that idea of room to fail it's so powerful. And one of the scary things that I've encountered just by speaking to uh, design students and people studying at higher education is that this overwhelming fear that people don't have room to fail because you're coming out of university and you have debts and student fees and you have to mm -hmm. find somewhere to live. And so there's so much pressure to just kind of nail this one thing and just you know, whatever you're getting into or whatever field or whatever discipline of design. Um, how do you build that, that room to fail into your programs or is it just an, a, a constant consideration? I think it's a constant consideration, but that consideration came from us developing um, our ability to give ourselves room to fail. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that, and that came from obviously like, part of it was through university and you know the fact that we ha we were constantly doing projects and some of them didn't work and you would get critiqued and be like why have you made this like <laughs> what on earth were you thinking and it's it's that practice it's that muscle that you build where like okay just because it didn't work so what I can try again it doesn't stop at like it didn't work and it takes time to develop this um mentality of of like okay fine it didn't work let's try it again um so that's why i our programs have that consideration from the mm. start where the we take the girls through this iterative process um and they encourage and you can see it you can see the uncomfortable um feeling that they have when they first like they don't they don't answer because they're just like i don't want to get this answer wrong and we're just like there is no right or wrong. I was like, guess what? There is no right or wrong answer. It's just what you think. And that's totally fine. Mm. Um, so that's something like, that's a consideration that has been like put into the way we designed the program so that they have room to, room to overcome this fear gotcha. of failure, yeah, um, yeah, as yeah. you say. 
just adding on to what Rachita said, I think the the thing that's consistent throughout, and we've uh, learned a to do always along the way is the scariest question you could ask our girls is how do you feel about that so we might show them a case study or um something to to respond to and we just go how did that make you feel and it's the scariest question in the first couple of weeks of being with us because it's not often you're asked that question in a classroom setting or you know and we're not always in a classroom setting but it feels it feels that way to them in the beginning and mm-hmm. um yeah and and just to, to to go you know what that you know I didn't see myself in that in what in that case study like does that mean it's not applicable to me and you start to see them like start really critically thinking about the stuff they're consuming but in the in the beginning it they think there's a right or wrong to their own feelings mm-hmm. um which just shows how much the prototyping process is needed in any form of education whether it is like figuring out a sum all the way through to writing a story is like you know emphasis on the drafts emphasis on the workings out um because that's where the learning really really happens wow yeah 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 i mean this um leads me into my next question um which works really well but like when you go about um, creating these programs and you're essentially making creativity accessible um, and democratizing learning, how do you go about it? What's the process? Is there a stage of, is there kind of like a workshop stage or do you kind of just bounce ideas back and forth or do you kind of have set areas that you want to to move into with your programs? I'd say like, yes to all, to all of that, I think. Um, <laughs> they're constantly developing um you know as i said we've been delivering programs for just over two years now so there was a good three years of figuring out what the first pilot even looked like um that was uh years of being on incubator programs that was years of doing Mm. um doing our own training as facilitators uh years of being in the industry, um, at the charities, doing freelance work, getting kind of scope of what it's like to be a designer um, in in the creative industry. And yeah, our programs are constantly developing um, from what we learn from each of the programs as well. And they they are, the feedback is a gift for us from the people that we bring on as experts or facilitators to the girls first and foremost. Mm-hmm. um they are constantly reflecting they always big part of our programs is reflection um and the reflection journals aren't only for their own way to communicate about their own personal contributions but actually to feedback on us and how we're you know how we're supporting them as well um so quite quickly with every program even from session to session we're getting feedback to kind of take into the next session that's a week later and then once we wrap up a program, we always have a debrief with not only ourselves, but with the girls um, after the launch night to just make sure that we're the programs are uh, like they they start and end the same. But the journey mm-hmm. in between always looks very different. And maybe Rachita wants to build on on that. I think Rebecca previously we were talking and touched upon really well where you know of course we have a framework in which we in which our programs run but we've built 
the framework in a flexible way that really responds to what the girls are doing in the session. Um, and Bex was saying, like, we always have a starting point and we know we have a launch night at the end. What happens in the middle is led by the girls. And that's really a big part of how we develop our programs. And part of democratizing learning is that the facilitator and teacher is not always the expert in the room, right? Oh, the, okay. the learning, the peer-to-peer -peer learning that happens, that's really important. The, the student to teacher or teacher or facilitator learning that happens is equally important. Like we might have some, you know, we've had um, situations where um, sometimes where like you have one group that's really struggling and you have one group that's just like flying off with their project. So how do we create a balance between the, those things like these are things that we learn from them by asking them what do you need and what do you want and what what can we support you versus like here's how we can support you and this is just how it is um mm. so it's really important that the in-between stage of start to end is really led by led by the girls um which can often mean we're just like okay next week right okay we know like <laughs> we know we have these set of activities that they need to do in order to progress on their project but we also need to think about this that they fell back on and we also need to like maybe bringing it bring in an expert that can support them even more so we are right. it's a very like involved process like right. we are in in each program with the girls like it's not as if we're just like okay, we have it all written down and we're just going to do step A to step B to step C. Like mm. it, it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah. I was even going to say that we have a voting, there's a point in every project where they vote for their favourite ideas and stuff. Mm. But even at that point, sometimes like you can see they're not quite ready to make that commitment. So we have to just do another round of like, of them doing research into all of the potential ideas. So they can make an informed decision on what because what's the most viable gotcha. um and that's really interesting so I was gonna be like yeah we always have a vote and I'm like that never is like there's never <laughs> an actual week we know when the vote is going to happen because they some some of the groups love research some of them absolutely hate it and just want to create and make mm -hmm. and so we have to make sure we hit certain markers but I think one project we spent about six weeks on primary and secondary research because wow. they were just it was it was all about um, street safety and they wanted to make sure they were making the best decision yeah. and something that was like bringing people into the conversation and gonna really because it was a community piece as well they had to make sure it was like the right thing for the community um we just kept going back around the you know discover develop stage and the diamond being like okay we're still here don't worry we will get here but we're not we're not gonna get there yet they're just going round and round but it made the outcome stronger for them and whatever success looks like to their project we just have to we have to go with and and the flexibility is a massive usp for us in terms of who we work with because a lot of the youth groups that we work with understand that it's just not a linear process and life happens mm. and girls have got stuff going on and yeah yeah, life doesn't happen outside of the school hours. It happens at all hours of the day. So we just have to allow for that and make sure that if it's a group project, we have as much of the group there as we possibly can. Mm. And what I really like about it is it also challenges the assumptions 
of our model of education. So, you know, if we think of school, the first thing we think of is a teacher standing in front of a chalkboard and rows of kids sat in front of him. Mm. And it's this kind of absorb and uh, repeat and regurgitate the information as it's been mm. given out. But in the model that you're proposing, it's almost like the learning is, you know, the chairs are all in a circle. And there is no fixed point. There's no expert in the room who's dishing out the information for everybody to absorb. It just becomes this uh, ever engaging, evolving circle where um, mm. the information is just being passed between people. So that's really compelling and that's really exciting. That, that, yeah. And that's the thing, it's working with education because we, we are doing things slightly differently. But something that we totally get in terms of teaching is a lot of it is behavior management. And, you know, we're not going to sugarcoat it. So a lot of what we do at Sisterhood as well is holding our girls accountable for their actions and their contributions to the session. And we all have bad days. We all have those challenges that are, are invisible as well. Mm. And um, we empathize massively with what what teachers have to do to kind of get students from A to B. And Behaviour management is a massive part of that. And I think that democratising the space has also been a big part of sisterhood. Mm. And we mm. we create the space with the girls. So from the beginning, they are writing the rules and they know right from wrong. They know that if they don't turn up to the session and they don't tell us where they are, that's problematic on so many levels. And so we say to them, OK, if you don't tell us where you are, like what does that mean for you? Um, you know, mm. shall we have a chat at the beginning of the session? Shall we call home? Shall we? And they make the rules so they know what's coming if something's not met or they don't show up or they're not communicative. Um, and we do treat it like a workplace, like it is them really, it's a professional space for them as much as it is a, a place to kind of figure out and grow and develop, which is what work should be anyway it's 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 a space where they can kind of rise up and step up and yeah we always have a sister speak manifesto that they write um and we bring it back to every, the beginning of every session they hold themselves accountable for one thing on that manifesto and whether it's give 100 percent or listen to others or whatever they've written um it's just it's a way to to set the space that it's theirs but mm. we're all going to kind of do what we can to like bring our best selves whatever that looks like if you're only can give 80 percent in that day it's fine there's someone else that will have you in the other 20 um and yeah like how how space looks like a good space to a teenager because it's very right. different to what it looks like for me and Rachita um or even yourself like your environment is 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 relative to your age and who you are and who you're interacting with and who's in sure. the room and who's speaking. So yeah. that's another way that we've tried to kind of democratize education or, or a, a learning environment is they write the rules basically. Ooh. Wow. And just on that note, you're dealing with people across demographics. You're dealing with people across backgrounds, across ethnicities, across situations um maybe even dealing with difficult situations invisible disabilities um how do you ensure that you're connecting and giving the right um, uh kind of attention to each person are there external partners that you rely on and you have to bring in sometimes or do you manage it yourselves 
Yeah, so it's a combination of lots of things. So, you know, in terms of like reaching, you know, reaching a, a diverse group of girls, like we really um, make sure that we partner with schools who are encouraging, like we really work closely with teachers and that school um, to encourage um, the girls who they think will really benefit from being on our program. And often, you know, that means we have girls who might have some, you know, we've recently been doing a literacy and leadership program where you know we've have girls who teachers have said that you know their literacy levels may uh, may not be you know the standard literacy levels that needs to be for, for that age or you know we're working so oftentimes we're working with groups of girls who might have um uh, disabilities or invisible disabilities when learning so we make sure that we when particular with i think particularly with disabilities we make sure that we have um a um, expert in there who is familiar to them. So they know that they've worked with them before um, and they can support them in that way. And um, because of course, like, you know, Rebecca and I aren't experts on everything. So we can't possibly um, give them support on every aspect that they might need on. So sure. it's really important that we bring on the right partners um, mm. who are able to offer that expert either advice or support. Mm, yeah and that's you know partnering with community organizations to reach hard to reach girls um so maybe they're out of school or um they uh, aren't yeah they're not attending school and when I mean hard to reach they might not get involved in extra activity extracurricular activities um and you know having community organizations like Hackney Laces um uh, football club based in Hackney um working with the arts depot in barnet uh they they are the community champions you know katie mm. huey and um francesca cross who we're working with at our depot. They're, they are the champions they're the familiar faces that the girls come to and we build up trust with them and then you know over time with taster sessions and um like really connecting with that like embedding ourselves in their world and going to them yeah. like we would travel um on a Thursday night to like for after a whole day's work, go to Hackney to for when they started football at six and then we'd be there until eight. And then we both wow. lived like all the way other side of the river. So it was, we would, we wanted to go to where they were. And that's a big part of it as well. Being hard to reach is like going, Oh yeah. Um, sisterhood is based here. You need to travel an hour to us. No, mm. we, we will always try and come to you and um or a space that's convenient for you um and the experts are it's it's still evolving we we're like if anyone kind of is listening to this like we are always interested from hearing from anybody who who would love to like come on and just volunteer their time and support our girls talk to our girls like hear their ideas give feedback on their ideas um we'll always make sure that the the right groups uh the 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 people and the experts on particular issues because as Richita said we don't know everything about everything sure. um and we've got to set that example of like we need to be curious and we need to um in, invite others into the space so that we can we can learn from them um and and hear difference of opinion and then I guess it's just in terms of outreach anywhere anytime so if we're trying to get girls to apply so self-apply to uh, particular events for example mm. um we'll always try and make sure that we're accept like 
we'll always apply for Facebook groups that are for particular communities and and let them know like this is what's going on and you have choice to be part of it we would love to have you there um and we always try and make sure our uh, support is is free because it's it's a privilege to be able to pay for any kind of event it's a privilege to be able to volunteer for an event it's a privilege to give up your time for a program like this when it's not in the school hours um to attend a 15 week program after school hours is yeah that's that's a huge amount of time and yeah yeah, that's that's something that's why we work closely with schools to get this into the curriculum so it's within those hours that they've already allocated for learning and um, yeah that's amazing wow thank you for sharing that um how do you measure or quantify the effectiveness of your programs and your outreach um, can you speak to any particular success stories or any examples that stand out? Yeah, I think impact is a huge, huge part of um, and measure making sure we measure that impact is a huge part of what we have to do and, and actually what most social enterprises have to do um, mm. um, as part of as part of running as a social enterprise. So we are constantly like we you know, ask girls to um oftentimes it looks like surveys oftentimes they're interviews um so we do like before and after interviews with the girls we you know measure everything from like skills that they're building because for us it's really important that because we're using design as like the vehicle for them to um express themselves find solutions that they're actually developing in their skills and not just and not only in you know the personal development side of things so we measure skills we measure confidence and within confidence we're not just like are you more confident now that you've been like part of sisterhood but like are you more confident in expressing your ideas are you more confident in like um uh you know, taking part in activities that your friends not might not be able to are you confident in um speaking up or getting involved in opportunities that are unfamiliar to you you know it's like really hitting and measuring those marks where um we want to see that development or we hope to see rather we hope to see that development um in girls through our program so yeah we are always thinking about what ways to measure um impact without it being boring for them all the time yeah, that's <laughs> what i was gonna say that, like, filling out forms <laughs> can be quite boring <laughs> yeah it's always in the moments that i just remember with one of our first projects ever uh we recognize and their whole thing was setting out to see more diverse representations of beauty in the media um, yeah. and better representation more accurate representations of culture and tra- uh, beauty traditions and um glamour came to their event and wrote a whole piece on their event and it was in honestly it was so cool because we didn't know they were coming we'd invited them and they didn't tell us they were coming and then all of a sudden it was just like teenage girls create this kick-ass platform to change this and for us though not the not just the press but it was the fact that they did what they set out to do and Mm. For us, the impact lies and they've made the project, but the real impact lies is making these projects happen beyond the program. Mm. And that's a big part of why we were wild and crazy enough to not only start Sisterhood School, but start Sisterhood Studio hand in hand. So Sisterhood Studio is where we take on client projects which are socially inclined or have a social mission. 
and uh, we work with clients very trans uh, uh, transparently to say like the work that you're doing is supporting girls projects um, across all of our programs and we're in the process of trying to get like uh, one of the projects that was done last March, which was Pop Path, which was all about making the girls walk to school safer. We're in the process of, of actually getting that implemented into their the alleyway that connects them to the their oh, wow. school and the train station. So that's where the impact is for us, is seeing these projects come to life and then seeing the community interact with them or whoever they've set out to support or, or help or um, engage with. And yeah, watch the space because it's just it takes long. Uh, it takes it takes long. It takes time, and it's sure. it takes money. It takes resource, and um, in certain things, working with councils, where there's a lot of you know there's there's a lot of loops and a lot of layers to getting these things to happen. But there is one thing that we've done, and we've just taken matters into our own hands, which is um, getting the girls' stories that they've written recently on the year program published uh we okay. were looking for publishers to help us publish this but we've just decided we've got to self-publish this we've just got to do it so that's uh sisterhood is all about like just try making these things come to life and then seeing their books on the bookshelves and seeing them sold across um across the country and uh and people actually having these books within their homes so yeah, I think that that's where the impact is. It's always in the moments that you don't expect. I think, Richita, you had a lovely moment on Tuesday where they were all just reflecting on yes. their time at Sisterhood. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they were. We had, so part of this one-year programme, there's also a documentary coming out of it and we were doing a session for the documentary where they were asked to write a memoir of their sisterhood journey so far. And right. mind you, when Rebecca talks about like behaviour management, just earlier on in the session, they were just not present. They were right. giving us a hard time in terms sure. of like getting them to do something. So by the end of it, when they had to write, write this memoir and they were recording it as if it's a monologue um, and just to see um that in their own words what the journey of this particular program has been for them um was like really rewarding i was like you did it at the end it's like you were <laughs> you know you're being troublesome at the start but like look where you have got to like look what you have managed to achieve so yeah definitely um yeah definitely the projects that i think that's one thing that we are constantly developing is like how far can we push these projects that are created and keep developing them so they have a life beyond the program wow that's so inspired that's incredible guys that's really really amazing stuff when you're doing this amount of work and you're taking on this amount of emotional labor not just in uh generating the programs and running the programs but in terms of dealing with the girls and being present in that moment, um, what do you do to to recharge? How do you you go back to the well? Because I, it must take quite a toll with all of these moving parts and personalities mm -hmm. and organisations in the mix. It yeah, does. It, it does. definitely <laughs> does. Um, and I we're think, so like, we're different just off of, as well, aren't yeah. we? Like we we're we're so different, but like always looking to each other of like 
how to actually do that effectively. Like I now journal a lot more because of Rashita and that is it. I mean, you are so good with your journaling, Rashita. I will like write about a week at a time and then just like leave it for a bit and then come back to it. But yeah, I think we, and that's something that we've got in our programs is like, we don't make the girls do anything that we wouldn't do. So right. it's unfair for me to get them to write reflection journals. And then I'm not really reflecting on my own, um, gotcha. how things have gone or how I've responded to things. And, you know, the emotion, I'm an emo- I'm emotional spirit, like, and that needs to just go somewhere. And um, even if I've ha- composed myself in the time when we haven't got a funding application or something hasn't gone right. And I, at the time I've like stayed really strong and, but journaling has like been a, it's been the, the kind of tears that might have like ha- come at the time and um, that, but we got it at like 12, we got the rejection at 12 o'clock and we have like 10 million things on the to-do list, like no time for tears. <laughs> so like, I think journaling is something I've learned from Rachita to, to just compress um, and uh, not compress, like to go through how I'm actually feeling or how something's gone. Yeah, and I think like a big factor in like learning from each other is like for me this year is like a massive, massive thing about like actually taking. So I have this theory that I'm testing out this year, which is like the more I rest, the more successful I am. So, which is kind of like counterproductive to what we're what we're told, right? Like when we started Sisterhood, we definitely had like the hustle mentality of like grind, grind, grind. If you and like the whole startup culture, like if you're not working to like late hours in the evening or on the weekends, and like you know how is it going to happen? And like we went through that, especially I. I think I definitely went through that. Um, and to come out of the other side to be like, actually, you know what? That this might not be right. This might not work. Um, and to give yourself that time to just replenish whatever that looks like whether that's journaling whether that's doing a bit of exercise to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and like in whatever aspect that you of your health that you want to making time for friends Mm. and family like you know the people who give us energy um like all these different things contribute towards us being able to um keep doing this because I think one thing we both like had a realization like quite early on was that the only you know the biggest thing of sisterhood would be failing is if we burn out and I was just like I will be damned if sisterhood works because we've burnt out and not because like we tried 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 and it just and you know it it did and it didn't happen because it wasn't the right thing but not because it didn't happen because we just you know, the candles. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And we never compromise on the check-in. Like a check-in mm. in the morning goes a really long yeah. way. And that every check-in might look different, but it's kind of going, how are you doing? And you're like, oh gosh, that was a really terrible night's sleep I had. So you're aware of each other. And I think that's something that we'll always do as we grow a team is just to check in and not compromise on that no matter what we've got on the diary or the calendar or even deadlines because it sets the space up well for us and Mm. then we're aware of each other we're just aware of what's going on Um, Mm. and nine times out of ten it's like I'm ready I'm I'm ready and raring let's do this but there's some days where it's it's there's especially this year it's been tough it's been really Mm. tough and we've had to lean on each other um so 
yes it's and and using and and finding things that don't always like cost a lot as well as important you know like we 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 know that you could have uh we've had coaching and things in the past and that's something that we have always wanted to be able to sustain but having backup options like journaling and each other to talk to just when coaching and these sorts of other external things aren't available to us it's it's reassuring that we have other outlets that are more accessible um and hopefully Mm -hmm. and other founders feel that way as well is that there are other outlets to to turn off and switch off yeah 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 just i mean out of interest would you say when you need um an additional push uh or when you need to motivate yourself or really get yourself back in the game what's the thing that drives you is it a sense of wanting to address the inequality in design you've both worked in the design industry Mm. and you've both experienced how it is you know in real time for yourselves or is it does it more come from a sense of empathy for the girls and wanting to to be there to support them i think the latter massively like i think the latter like uh, and it's not even empathy to support the girls so much as it is like to make sure we show up for them no matter what um that and like that's definitely the thing that we're just like like we have so many days when we're facilitating like before we go into a session where we're just exhausted like absolutely exhausted um it happened yesterday actually we were so tired because we um facilitated through the weekend last weekend so we didn't really have uh, any time off um so by Wednesday we were just like really feeling it and we gave ourselves like half an hour to just switch off and then when we came back we were like no like if you know they're turning up we're turning up so Mm. that is definitely the thing that pulls us out when we're in the trenches (laughs) yeah I'm I'm just being there for yeah it's the being there for them and being and holding holding that having the space for them to come because you know for even personal reasons you just know when you know like from school finishes at three right that's a really long time on your own or that's a long time till you go to bed as well I know things that you have homework and you have other things to do but especially when we do anything with after school clubs it's especially when it's outside of school hours I that really motivates me to be to be there as well is is you know if you weren't here where would you be or what would you be doing um and like I I yeah I think we we're but we've been teenagers we know what it's like we know how easily it is to kind of go with a certain group or to 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 make a decision that can kind of change your whole life or tip your world upside down and um yeah I just would always the future and I just hope there's always a sisterhood place that someone can go after school uh, in the in the future because I just really wish that I had that um as well I think that we always have everyone has that kind of feeling like Mm -hmm. trying to do something that they wish existed um when they were a teenager that that also is part a big part of the motivation and to and to kind of add on we we are going to going to take a rest after our intense weekend <laughs> we just talked about taking rest we will we will <laughs> it just didn't time out particularly well last weekend with all of the hard work we were doing 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the on the, the rest thing, I was definitely uh, an early adopter of the hustle mentality of like, you've got it. I've, I have to work 36 hours in a row. I, I'm doing it. Mm. And then I'll just hit a brick wall and collapse. But the thing that changed for me was early in my career as a commercial designer, I just worked for agencies and brands and organizations. When my mm. work developed more of a social focus, and when I started doing work for organizations that were engaged in the community in some way or the other, and this idea of, as you describe it, showing up for people, suddenly you realize that you're taking rest, not for yourself, not for you to relax, but it enables you to show up for people. Because if you, mm. if you work for 36 hours and then you have to go and speak to a room of 17 year olds, it's not going to go well. And I know that from no. personal experience. <laughs> Um, so it's this idea of, you know, the rest is enabling you to be at your best self to show up for them Mm. because that's what they need. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's so true. And, and that they, you're setting the example for them, right? If you then go and absolutely crush your talk and you're so engaged and hanging off every word they're saying and the questions that they're asking you don't realize you're having such an impact on those 17 year olds. Um, and you are, you know, you, you might plan and prepare like the best speech for something and you think it's gone. It's, you know, everyone sat there like, uh, and you think it's not gone in. And then like <laughs> three years later, you'll get an email from that person that was in the audience and they'll be like, that changed my life or whatever. And, and you think nobody's listening, but you know, young people, they're so, they're taking it all in and it yeah. that's something that we've learned along the way so um mm. to just show up for them is is I mean that doesn't don't they say that about parenting it's just it like it's like it it's being there it's just being even if you don't quite understand what's going on just just being there is <laughs> it means the world like I think and we can all relate to that and and yeah, yeah just showing up is, is 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 cool like they they appreciate it mm. Okay. Um, one final question to end on. Um, given everything that you've experienced and learned in um, the past, well, uh, two years or so, um, if you had to do it all again, what would you do differently based on what you've experienced so far? So, you know, key lessons, learning, it might be in how you structured the company. It might be um, how you financed it, early objectives what would be like your key takeaway that if you could do it all again, you would do that one thing differently? I think like a couple things just popped to mind. I think like last year we took the leap of getting a coach for the both of us who's like supporting, you know, supporting our growth as well, as well as like obviously what we um, want for the business. I would have loved to have a coach much earlier on I think that would have been really really nice um but I'm also like one of those people who like I'm like I'm always like as much as I reflect I'm also the sort of person that's like the journey we've been on is the journey we've been on and nothing like if anything changes we wouldn't have the outcomes we have now but there's always like little things like you know um for example like coaching or like you know having a really good mentor uh last year we were also really lucky to have a mentor for like the studio side of stuff that we do that mm. also helped us really develop um and re-solidify what we do from like that creative design 
aspect to when we work with clients. So I think that is something earlier on that would have been quite helpful. Mm. Yeah, and mine will always be just ask for more support, more financial support, be more comfortable mm. with talking about money and needing to more like we apply we 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 went the route that most startups go and learn that hard lesson of grant funding um mm. and luckily obviously sister studio grew organically we both were still practicing designers and that's we've grown organically since we everything that we've most of this honestly like the, i'm not going to go into percentage but the money we've raised has pretty much all come from sisterhood studio and um Amazing. and and paying for program and and people paying for programs um but we learned the really hard i mean how many grant applications you do for for a successful yes and um just not being afraid to to need that seed money and to like early on we were like yeah we'll just do all these programs for free and we just want to help and we want and that it's your heart is so in the right place but sustainable sustaining is being here as we just said is the most important thing and in order to be here you need the financial viability to make to 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 give the girls what they need the tools they need the, the to pay for those that stuff um so that would be i'd be more comfortable with asking for financial like support yeah yeah i mean i've heard um similar sentiments from a lot of people in the activism um and uh design for social space it's almost like the money conversation needs to be could be taught as its own subject in terms of raising funds uh grant applications it's almost like it's a skill set in itself so rather than mm -hmm. it being sidelined oh, yeah. it might be something that you know like anybody following in your footsteps will do well to invest in early yeah I, I mean yeah it's, it's such a skill like we have such talented fundraiser friends and we are so lucky to have their support and um it is such an art it's such a skill it's it's a form of like communication and creativity in mm -hmm. its own right and it's um yeah it's fundamental in in making sure that you're applying and you're giving the most truthful story in your application so that when the money lands it's actually a really nice process between you and the funder because they're so aware of what you do you're so aligned it's great and you know they can just they trust you and you can just fly and let your project out into the world with their support and report back to them on how it went um but it it needs its own lane it needs it's it needs to be a central part in a founder's experience on any incubator program and any kind of early days support for sure yeah yeah indeed okay great um thank you so much for your time today um i really appreciate it it's been amazing uh, where can people find you online so they can find us at www.oursisterhood.co.uk and then our sisterhood across all social media as well uh, those links will be available in the show notes as per usual on the episode page. Uh, my thanks to Rebecca and Richita for joining me today and sharing the fantastic work they've been doing with Sisterhood. It's an incredibly inspiring story that demonstrates the power of design thinking, challenge inequality, uplift marginalized groups and create a compelling future for our brightest and best. You can check out more episodes of the show at bunbury.co forward slash podcast. That's B-U-N 
B-U-R-Y.co forward slash podcast. My thanks to Sisterhood for joining me again and join us next time for more inspiring conversations with the creatives looking to change the world. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Design for the People with Greg Bunbury.